Well, I want to speak to you a word this morning that is the very central theme of the Bible. Got your Bibles with you? I know you can hold up your iPhone or your your Samsung, your Galaxy, whatever it is that you got in your pocket, and, and there's a Bible app on there. I've got one on my iPhone. I like Bible apps. It helps me study no matter where I go. Um, my Bible nowadays looks like the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've had it for this this one for about uh, 15 years, and uh, it gets kind of beat up, so it's just good to be able to take, you know. And, but there's nothing like having the written word in front of you in on paper. Uh, being an old schooler, uh, kids, uh, i got to tell you, there's just nothing like that. And those of you that are older, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the, the battery the battery on this never goes dead right here. Oh, my charger, I left it at home. Oh, wait a minute, it's right here. I've got a real Bible in front of me. The central theme of the Bible is what I want to speak to you this morning. If I have a title for this, it's called The Centrality of Worship. The central theme of the Bible, one would say, oh, but it's the salvation of man. Did God create us to fall? He did not. He did not create Adam and Eve to sin. Did not create them to be disobedient and have... He did not create the earth to be the earth and, and everything in it to be in turmoil because of that original sin in the garden. He didn't create it that way. Do you know what he created Adam and Eve for? To walk with him. To be with him. To reproduce. Replenish. Fill the garden. And worship Him. That is the central theme. Then came the fall. You know, the sin and the curse came down. And you can read about that in Genesis 3. And the Lord handed out curses. That was not God's intent. That was not His first plan. The devil gets into things and makes a mess. The central theme of the Bible is worship. We were created to worship Him. That's why we are here. And when we come together, we can worship anywhere. We, can, we don't need a building to worship God. I don't need to be with you to worship God. But when I'm with you to worship God, it's so much sweeter. It really is. I've got a fancy word for that. And some of us, you might have heard this along the way. But um, Kenneth Hagin called it congregational anointing. Wherever two or three or more are gathered in his name, there he will be in the midst. Emphasis on the others being there and him being in the midst. Not that he isn't with you and I, but there's just something incredible that you can sense right away when you get with people of like faith in the house of God, with the family of God, and worshiping him on his day. This side of heaven, it doesn't get any better than this. This is it. I thank God that we live in a country where this is a freedom, where we can come together and worship. There are other countries, and I've heard this testimony out of North Korea, that the church in North Korea gathers together outside when it's 40 below zero. 
five or six at a time at 4 a.m. Now, in the wintertime, that wasn't too long ago, just a couple months ago, you know, we had that thing we call the polar vortex. You know, we got a fancy term for everything. It's terrible getting up and getting out at 4 a.m., isn't it? That's, I don't know about you, but that's not my favorite time of the day for wintertime. But that's how they gather together to worship the Lord in a country that persecutes, kills, imprisons, pastors, believers. But we live here where we can worship Him freely. Yes, we can still worship Him freely. We can still speak the name of Jesus in our schools. They might not like it. The administration may not like it, but you still can. So when we come together, this is as good as it gets right here on earth. Do you believe that? Or did you get up this morning going, oh man, it's Sunday. Let's, let's go get the God thing squared away and get on with our boating and our laying in the sun and our barbecues. And, and you know what? I love summer like you do. But this is the place where God meets with his people collectively. And it doesn't matter. We can be in the park and do this. It's just the important thing is we get together. Amen? The centrality of worship. If you have your Bibles, I told Larry I'm just going to cover a chapter here, and it would look really confusing unless you've got it in front of you and you got you know verse subtitles and whatnot on uh, Numbers chapter 2. I want to... I want to bring to you the message of the centrality of worship in Numbers 2. And also, uh, it's going to come a little bit later in Numbers, and it's also going to be in Exodus 33. But I want us to look at that this morning. If you turn to Numbers 2, I just want to set the stage by saying this. The centrality of worship was made uh, in a practical sense, very common, very obvious, The Lord wanted to dwell with His people. It's always been God's intent to dwell with His people. Whether they be believers or not, that He would work with the unbelievers. He can work with them. Do you believe that? Hey, if you're here and you got saved and you're here, He's worked with you when you were unsaved, didn't He? And He'll do that with others. And that's why He wants us to love them. That's why He wants us to bless our enemies. Bless those who persecute us. Pray for those who treat us terribly. And not, not just, you know, just say, oh, you know, somebody cusses and you say, I don't hang around that kind. I had a pastor friend on Facebook, if you'll excuse me for using such mundane things in a sermon, but I'm making a point with this that it just really, it, it, it caused me to grieve in my heart when when he took a picture in chairs that even were the same color as this, it could have happened here, where someone opened a box of Altoid mints, and, they, and, and the box was there, and the mints were, like, scattered. And when I saw it, I thought, whoa, a mint anointing. And he just kind of laughed at it. But he was grieved, and everybody in his church and on his friends list were coming on, oh, that's terrible. I can't believe that people treat the house of God like that. And on and on and on it went, and I thought, oh, God. So I just made one little silly comment on there, and, well, more than one, but I just said it was a good thing they were there. 
The Lord wants us to be like Him. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. And He paid the price of His blood that you and I would be bought and purchased and redeemed and restored to have heaven on earth until we get there. Amen. Oh, I'm going to amen that one myself. That's good. The centrality of worship. It was about Israel, but not totally about Israel. You know, you read in the Old Testament, and there's this group of people that the first time I heard it, I laughed. And, you know, it's like, it, it, and it said, it talked about the Israelites, and then there's, and the rabble. You ever hear the word rabble? And the rabble. And I was like, I immediately, you know, grabbed the dictionary. What's, what's rabble? And the rabble were the people that came with Israel out of Egypt. They were Egyptians that said, we don't want to stay here. God wrecked. Egypt, because they would not let his people go and worship. Let my people go, Pharaoh. Let them go and worship. And Pharaoh stood and said, no. Let my people worship. No. And so plague after plague after plague, you know the story. You know it. And God wasted the greatest nation on the face of the planet. Wasted them. Wasted them. The Lord used Egypt to grow Israel into a mighty people. But when things turned really bad, Moses was raised up by God to go and to say to Pharaoh, face to face, because they knew each other, face to face, let God's people go. Let them go and let them worship. Worship was the central theme for moving out of Egypt. You and I were called to come out of a place of Egypt. The world, its systems, its thoughts, its ways of living. We were called to come out of Egypt, but it's an entirely different thing to take Egypt out of us. Hallelujah. The Lord God calls His people to be separate from the things of the world. To not love the things of the world. Not love the world or the love of the Father is not in you. 1 John. Worship is a central theme and it's really obvious in, in the centrality in a geographical, very practical sense and geometric sense that right in the very center of a big circle was the place of God's presence. You will read, in Numbers 2, the orderly fashion to which God says, I'm going to, wow, we've got a lot of people here. They're not going to know how to march in or march out, break up camp, set up camp. He said, so he gave them specific instructions. Okay, I want these tribes over here on the north, and I want these tribes over here on the south, and it would be over here, I'm sorry, and over here in the east and, and over here in the west. And when you look at that, and he says right in the middle of it, he says, will be the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting, just a really quick theological, historical little explanation here. The tent of meeting was the pre-tabernacle. Just like the tabernacle is pre-heaven. 
for you and I. Yes, it was pre-temple when they were to go in and the promised land and build a temple, but God just wants people to be together in His name. Because worship is the centrality of our existence. To worship Him. And so we have the camp encircled that said right in the middle of it in Numbers 2, it says, you know, the tent of meeting is right in the middle. The tent of meeting was before uh, the instruction and the setup, the Levites setting up the tabernacle. Now, the tent of meeting is a very interesting place. The tent of meeting was where God came down in a manifested presence. Okay, you, un- you understand what I'm talking about when I say manifested? You know what manifest means? It means that which was invisible is now visible, and sometimes it's scary. I pray that you are not at all nervous with the supernatural because we belong to a supernatural kingdom. Sometimes it's very natural, and, and dailiness is just dailiness, but every now and then something happens in the Lord that just opens your eyes, and it's like, whoa. Maybe you run into a demon now and then. Maybe you run into an angel every now and then. Have you seen angels? They're awesome beings. Now, you may not have known that you, you might be saying, all oh, this angel stuff, oh, that person sees a ah, big deal. Ah, you've seen them. You've seen them. You just didn't know it. And that's okay. Ask the Lord to show you, and sometime he will. And that's pretty cool. We are supernatural beings. We were supernaturally created. We worship a supernatural God, but yet the supernatural bothers some believers. And I use the term believers a little bit on the loose, casual side. And it's too bad. The Lord has a portion for you and I to know His power, to know and to walk in His authority. This is the price that Jesus paid for you and I. We have authority over sickness. We have authority over the devil. We have authority. But greater than that, we should rejoice that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and to worship the Lord God of all creation. Hallelujah. So, I was about six years old. I, you know, my grandson Caden sitting on my lap this morning. I, you know, I, I was six years old, and my mom and dad would have friends come over to the house, and they'd stay up playing cards back when, oh, my, my mom and dad were 25, 26, 27 years old. And that's pretty young, you know, for young couples with little kids running around. And uh, at that time, I can remember it was summertime. Um, those of you who, who lived in this area... Remember back in the 60s when the Emmett County Fair would come by and would set up for a week? Do you remember those big spotlights that they had? Those big arc lights or searchlights that they used for in, in wartime and military level kind of stuff? And those searchlights were huge. And our friends were with us, and we're outside playing, and we're all, you know, looking at that thing, and we're thinking, oh, man, wish we were at the fair. You know, it's starting to get dark. Wish we were at the fair. And when it was dark enough, it was really obvious, and they were just piercing the darkness, those big spotlights 
shining big beams up in, in the sky. Um, the one little boy that was my age, he's six years old, and he just started hysterically crying and screaming and went into his mom. And we're like, what's wrong with Marky? So we all went inside, and he was hysterical. He went to his mom, and he goes, I saw the hand of God. I saw the hand of God. And she tried to calm him down. No, it was just somebody putting their hand in front of the, of the spotlight. That wasn't the hand of God. And, and he was brought up in a church where, where God was to be feared, and he became a little bit on the superstitious side. Supernatural is not superstitious. Do not fear the supernatural. Know this, that as Jesus was in this world, so are you. I say this, I love being, I love being in the kingdom of God, a superior kingdom, because stuff happens. I enjoy that. Do you? We were created for signs and wonders and miracles. We were created for that. Jesus paid the price that we would walk in it. Think about what happened in that camp. Do you know the story? Uh, let's, let's come along. Larry, would you put up for me, please, Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 23? This was life for 40 years. How many of you like to camp? You like to camp? I like to camp. Some of you are probably going, ah, not a good year, all these bugs. No, no, no. you got to work for making your food. Listen, that, you know, camping was the way of life back then for 40 years. 40 years. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, the tent of meeting, was set up, the cloud covered it. The cloud, what was the cloud? This is not your weather kind of cloud. This is a manifestation of God's presence. Manifestation. What went from invisible became very visible. It says, from the cloud covered it from evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Now, here's the tricky part. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. The centrality of worship is about divine presence. Divine presence. We believe that wherever we go, there He is. Amen? We believe that. But sometimes some things happen that open our eyes in the way of a miracle. The Lord is trying to personalize His presence to you. When you see an angel, He is trying to personalize the kingdom of God and cause you to rise up a little bit further in your walk with God in the supernatural as a supernatural being. So what was like life like? I mean, I can't imagine what it was. What, what, what remotely would it be like, you think, camping for 40 years, living in a tent for 40 years? How about the presence of God visible to you at all times, 24-7? The presence of God 
visible 24-7. Now, because I didn't live back there, I've just got to kind of imagine it, you know, like you do. But think about this for a moment. First thing in the morning, every Israelite, the man of the house, would go to the flap of the tent and he would look out and he would see if the cloud was over the tent of meeting in the tabernacle. Why? Because if it was settled there, that means, oh, we can stay right here. If the cloud was lifting, all of a sudden it's like, hurry up, hurry up, we got to break camp. Come on now. Yeah, you take care of this, you take care of this. They had a system down. They could break camp and be gone in a moment's notice, all because God's glory lifted visibly above and went up. And right then they knew it was time to go. That taught daily obedience. It put people in contact, in awe of the presence, the manifested presence of God. You know, and there's some believers I've heard over the years that say, oh, that's Old Testament, Rip. That's Old Testament. We've got the Holy Spirit now. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but are you as obedient as what they were to walking daily in the presence of God? The Lord in His manifested presence taught them this is, when I say go, go. When I say stay, stay. So the cloud would lift and they would move. At nighttime, at nighttime, it was a fire and the fire would lift. They would move in the middle of the night because God wanted to teach them, to train them. Obedience, obedience. Now remember, the people in the wilderness for those 40 years were known as the children of provocation, the the, the people of provocation in Hebrews in the New Testament. So think about this. The purpose of all of that was to raise up a young generation that didn't know Egypt, many of them being born in the wilderness. The Lord was raising them up to be obedient, to, to see for themselves that God is to be followed. Remember remember that at that time, the Lord said the only ones out of this whole camp that are going to walk into the promised land because of your disobedience, the only ones are going to be Joshua and Caleb. Remember that? Mm -hmm. So an entire generation was being raised up. These These were the children of the wilderness, not the children of provocation. Their parents were the children of provocation. They provoked God in the wilderness. And the Lord, every day, is showing them the cloud and teaching them, do we stay or do we go first thing in the morning? When you go to lay down at night, do we stay or do we go? Look out the tent. Look right down at the tabernacle. Look down at the meeting place of God. Do we stay or do we go? The tabernacle was where the presence of God was. And, they, and the Lord was teaching them, be guided by my presence. It is a type and a shadow, an example to you and I and how we should live and order our lives where worship, worship, the presence of God, signs and wonders are the norm, not the unusual. Hallelujah. Maybe you've heard this. But whenever the Lord starts moving powerfully in a group of believers, signs and wonders just start happening in 
and and pretty soon you hear the critics. They're going, oh, we're not supposed to be chasing after signs. How many of you have heard that? I hope you didn't believe that. Because you know what signs and wonders are for? Signs and wonders are to put us in awe and to immediately put us into a state of worship. There's going to be a part here I want to, I want to bring out to you. Let's see if I can find it real quick. In Exodus 33, Larry, would you put that up, please? Verse 11. The Lord would would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. Oops, that's the wrong one. I'm sorry. The people worshipped him. Let me get there, okay? I'm getting ahead of myself. Slow down, Rip. Speaking about the tent of meeting, we're looking at verse 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood... And did what? They worshipped. What was the cloud about? What was the fire about? What was manna about? Every morning except on the day of Sabbath rest. Signs and wonders. The manifest presence of God. There's too much of the church and it's crept into... I love being Pentecostal. When I got saved, I was instantly Pentecostal. And it's like, you can't shut me up. That's okay. It's more than my personality. It wasn't a personality thing. It was God's call call and fire. And, and when you see Him and, and there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit, you become Pentecostal even before we called them Pentecostals. I didn't know what Pentecostal was. And I was speaking in tongues. I didn't know what it, I didn't know that you know having dreams and visions immediately seeing Jesus on the third day that I was saved I thought that was normal for everybody the problem is it is normal for everybody but there has been a cessationist way of thinking cessationist they're the ones that say all the signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the holy spirit those things died with the last apostle Oh, I love hearing that, people. Oh, no, 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 no. Amen. (laughs) I'm sorry. We have seen too much. (laughs) We've seen what God can do. Hallelujah. Yeah, you know, if you don't believe that the gifts aren't here, then why do you pray for a miracle in the midst of somebody's suffering? You know, that's amen, amen, because Jesus heals. Signs and wonders do this. Signs and wonders are to put people in awe, to worship. To worship. They weren't worshiping Moses. They weren't saluting him. They weren't standing because out of respect for their great leader going out to meet with God. No. When Moses went into the tent of meeting, there was a cloud, man. It settled. And it was there. And everybody wanted to see it. And immediately they began to worship. I don't think they had to play a certain song. I don't think they even had to give a trumpet blast. I don't think no one had to be told this is when we worship God. 
Signs and wonders do that. It puts people in a state of worship. I saw a little example of this just this past um, this this past week. You know, the, the critics that say signs and wonders, people chase after them, and pretty soon they get hung up on them, and and it distracts them from from Jesus. No, no. Let me give you an example. It's like the Lord gave me this example just for this morning. Um, we have we have neighbors out on Mountain Road, nice rural, up in the orchards, country, and we have people that come up and would stay in this little house trailer, you know, next door to us, kind of, and they had the trailer hauled out and put a bigger one in, and Vicky and I kind of laughed. They, they took a 10 by 50 trailer out and decided they wanted to put a 12 by 70 in, okay? That's 20 feet longer, two feet wider. They brought a truck up here. It was just, I don't know, probably Wednesday or Thursday. They brought a truck up here. I saw them coming, man. I was like, whoa, I'm going to watch this. How are they going to back that thing in? Little two-lane? How are they going to do that? A ditch on the other side? Just dropped off? Well, they struggled with that thing. And they struggled so much so that the guy who owned the place that was to, to watch and put it in, he was there with a little half-ton Chevy pickup, four-wheel drive pickup, little 1500 the trailer dwarfed it, but the guys were so desperate. They got the truck jackknifed, and they got it straight, and then they, they maneuvered that truck. Those things are pretty cool trucks, by the way, that tow trailers. And they got that thing around to where they had a straight shot going right in, and I'm thinking, without cutting down a tree, that was amazing. But here's the problem. The truck dropped off like this down the embankment. And I'm up there, and I'm just kind of, you know, every now and then a truck would come down or a car would come down, and I'd just tell them, detour around, please. And, you know, just kind of help out wherever I could help out and to watch. These guys were getting pretty desperate. They were getting pretty tired. They had a long drive up from the Flint area, towing a big oversized load thing. And now they're putting it in here. And I heard the one guy say, should have brought the four-wheel drive. And I'm thinking... Every time he would put it in gear and rock it, it would just spin. And they'd put these plates underneath to try to grab traction, and it would just spin. That truck would rock and rock and rock. And so they got the, the, the guy with the little pickup. They burned a hole in the frame of the trailer with a torch, threw a chain through it, and hooked onto his truck. And I, and I told, his name's Mike. I said, so Mike, I said, you want me to, you want me to video this and put it on YouTube? I said, I think... I think Chevy would like this as, as an ad right here. And he laughs and he says, you know, I work for Chevy. <laughs> he says, you're probably right. Well, we're making light of it. I mean, he's just digging a hole. He's going nowhere. He's not helping. That truck is going nowhere. These guys were desperate. And a thought popped into my mind. Oh, it's scriptural. Hebrews 1, the very last verse of Hebrews 1 talks about angels. And it says that the angels are sent as ministers to serve us. To serve us. Now, I tend to be a little bit on the little more conservative side to what some of my friends do in the ministry that like angels to do these things. 
I, I've seen angels. I've spoken with them. I know it's nothing new to me. But what it does is it opens your eyes up to, to a need. And so I'm standing out there next to the truck, and I'm hearing these two guys. They're just, they are just had it. They don't know what to do. And what are you going to do, block the road for how long, call somebody else in, bring the truck up? I don't know. But he's stuck. He's not going anywhere. The truck is dropped off like this, and there's a 70-foot trailer blocking the road and half onto the property. And so I'm walking up there on the road, you know, and, and I said, Father, would you put an angel on the front of that truck and give him a little push? Do you know that as soon as they hit that thing, the next time it came and popped right I said, thank you, Jesus. We are supernatural people because we live in a supernatural and superior kingdom. Okay, signs and wonders are to immediately put you in a state of awe of the presence of God. So when guys were, you know, had it all backed in and everything, and and I just, I walked I walked around. By then I just chit-chatted, just, just little small talk with them because they're so busy and so frustrated. And, and I, I said, hey, guys, you did really good. I said, and he said, yeah. yeah, thank you. And I said, you had an angel pushing the truck out. And you know what one of the guys said? Who had to that point been using language he should not have been using? He looked at me and he said this. He says, yeah. I sure did. When I get home, I'm going to say my prayers. That's what it's all about. So this thing where people say that signs and wonders, um, they, you know, that we chase after them. Well, I will tell you, I did, for the sake of the kingdom of God, because signs and wonders, when they take place and the unbeliever sees it, it drives them immediately to their need for God. That's what it's all about. Signs are signs. You know, it's to tell you something's going on. And the Lord wants us to be those kind of people. That's how good he is. Oh, but wait, there's more. There's more. I, I Just for a few moments, I want to close with this one. Staying right in Exodus 33. Larry, could you go back to verse 7, please? And let's read 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Okay, you see, tent of meeting right there is not in capitals, okay? Not capital for T and capital M for meeting. That was the, that was the tabernacle when the tabernacle was put in place. This was just a small tent, a small tent where Moses would go in to meet. He would, he would be face to face with God. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at their entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud, Standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, verse 11, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses 
would return to the camp. But this is the part I like. Have you seen this yet? But, Mo, but, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Wow. Who was this young assistant named Joshua? Why, he has a book of the Bible. The, he, he's got the sixth book of the Bible about his exploits in God. He was a worshiper. Joshua was a mighty warrior. Whenever I'm going through a hard time and I need mighty warriors around me, I go to worshipers. People that I know love to worship God. I mean, it is their number one thing. Do I speak any lower to those who are not? I'm not saying they are not worshipers any more than I'd look at Moses and say he wasn't. But there was something different about Joshua, amen? Can you see that? Can you see how obvious that is? That Moses would do his business with God. He would pour his heart out to God. Oh, God, these are stiff-necked people. There was one point where he says, oh, God, just wipe them all out. And then there was a time, and, and then there was a time the Lord says, I'm going to wipe them out and just raise you up. No, Lord, please don't do that. There were wrestling matches inside that tent for the destiny of Israel. And Joshua was outside because he was not allowed in that tent. But what he had was pretty good. He could stand right next to that cloud by the tent of meeting. He could stand right there and I can just see him. I wonder what it feels like. And he could hear God speaking with Moses. And he could hear Moses pouring his heart out to God. So it had such an impact. Gave him such a prolonged sense of awe for God that when Moses left, Joshua didn't say, oh, okay, uh, i got to get back on the clock here and, you know, and, and walk out. Do you see what's taking place? Do you see what I see this morning? I see two things. Just two things. Out of all of that, Right there, I see two things. Number one, the cloud caused worship. Signs and wonders, the manifest presence, the glory realm, when it is made obvious to us, it causes us to worship. Worship. Please forgive me, I digress, but when I saw... When I, when I saw what happened in that angel incident and in other angel incidents, I've got to tell you something. It rattles me for the rest of the day or days. I was rattled. I couldn't get out of the awe of God. Neither could Joshua. Can you imagine? Oh. Oh, God, I want 